hope, courage, resilience and TikTok. I'm Rob Lawrence and this is EMS One Stop. This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. Hello and welcome to another edition of EMS One Stop and we are continuing our series from the American Ambulance Association Stars of Life meeting here in Washington DC and this morning we had an amazing uh, keynote speaker in Anna Muller and uh, amongst other things she is a TikTok sensation and I say that because I'm TikTok uh, followers for Anna you'll hear about in a minute Uh, but we're going to talk about hope, courage and resilience with Anna. So Anna, welcome to EMS One Stop. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. Let's get into question one, uh, first of all, and that, uh, let's give us your backstory. Um, wow, that's a loaded question. I have quite a backstory. Um, you know, essentially a lot of, a lot of my backstory um, contains kind of a long struggle with mental illness as well as addiction. Um, this is something that kind of consumed the large majority of my youth. Um, you know, it, it was a lot of in and out of psych units, a lot of in and out of hospitals, a lot of rehab stays, residential stays. It really was all consuming of, of my life for a very, very long time into, into early adulthood as well. Um, it wasn't until you know, about a year prior before I had my son, um, that things kind of started to settle down. I felt like I was getting a grip on, on things. And I was, I was really excited about it. You know, it was like the first time I felt like, okay, I'm like seeing this spark come back. I'm feeling happier. Like maybe this is it. I'm going to have a baby. And like, there's this like bright light of hope at the end of the tunnel that, um, things are going to change and I'll be different. Um, and things did change for a little bit. I spent a, lo- a lot of work on myself. Um, and then about six months after I had my son was my onset of postpartum depression, which also triggered um, later on a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And that kind of, you know, my world kind of came crashing down after that. Um, I was really, I wasn't really super aware of uh, what postpartum depression looked like. The ideas and the, you know, the symptoms that they showed in the media were not, they did not line up with what I experienced. So I didn't actually know for a very long time what it was. Um, my assumptions was, um, I'm just not a good mom. Maybe I'm just doing this wrong. Maybe something's wrong with me. And, um... So I suffered silently for a really long time. Um, I didn't get help until about 16 months out from having my son where it was forced upon me. I did not seek it. That's kind of where this ties into EMS, where there was an intervention. Um, and the reason I'm, I'm here today is that was my paramedics doing. Um, 
that's what got the ball the ball rolling on on me getting help was the intervention that they gave me thank you for that opening story and obviously uh, you know we're, we're glad that uh, your paramedic gave you the right advice and uh, we've had a lot of discussions here with our stars of life who have all done you know some really heroic things but of course one of the, the key things about being the medic coming into a patient is that you know the patient or in this case you are probably having one of the worst days of your life and the, the medic of course perhaps deals with somebody having five or six or seven or eight worst days of their lives every day and actually to bring you know some treatment some hope um, and in your case this clearly helped and started you off on the journey so you know what happened next yeah um what happened next was a moment of crisis for me as I was driving actually I came home from a therapy session and um I was I hit a low point I was defeated I did not feel seen I did not feel heard I did not feel like I had any more options I was convinced at that point things were just not going to get better and this was it um there was a point when I was driving that I had come to this really scary realization that I was not able to keep myself safe anymore um I started panicking as I was driving. I was having a difficult time breathing. I was not very coherent, so I immediately pulled over at the nearest parking lot um, right off the freeway. And I noticed this large concrete wall that kind of separated the parking lot from the freeway. Um, And at that point, I felt like I had two choices in front of me. I could rev my engine and go straight into the wall and this would be done and maybe even look like an accident maybe people trying to piece together what happened maybe they wouldn't be so angry with me maybe there would be less questions maybe it was an accident um my second option was I could call someone and that was the scarier option for me um you know, I, I get a lot of questions of like, well, you had like these two options. What made you choose? What made you choose to call? Yeah. Um, you know, it was, I had a moment where I thought about my son and that was what did it. Um, it was a really quick burst of courage. It did not last long, but it was long enough for me to pick up my phone. Um, and I picked up my phone and I typed in 911 and I called. And I essentially reported myself, which is never something I imagined I would do. You don't hear about that very often, people reporting themselves. Um, I've been reported before, but it was never me who did it. Um, I told them I was panicking. I was not really clear with my intentions on the phone. I couldn't get a lot of words out at the time. Um, But the paramedics got to me really quickly. And... um, Some of, I mean, the most moving part about this was their interactions with me and the words that they said to me, you know, they, they didn't approach me like a psych patient or a crazy person. I didn't feel like a burden. I, they just talked to me like they would a a family member, a friend. Like I was, I felt very human, which was nice because I was going through an experience where I did not feel human. I felt like I was, I felt like I was crazy and, um, they just leveled with me and they talked to me with such compassion and empathy. And mind you, I was not, I was not an easy patient. I was not cooperative. 
Um, I was very resistant. I was not listening very well. Um, I was regretful that I called in the first place. So this was a task for them. Looking back, I'm, I very much admired their, the way they handled that. Cause I know that could not have been easy to watch. That could not have been easy for them to do. Um, this kind of goes into, um, this viral video that I had on TikTok, I told this story and I, I shared these words that the paramedic said to me and something I was muttering over and over to them was, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. I just, I can't. And, um, the most powerful phrase that he said to me is he, he just said one more time, let's try one more time. And it was something that immediately made me feel seen it made me feel like I was not alone in this. He was like, I'm here. We're going to take this a step at a time. It wasn't the typical response of like, stop. It's not a big deal. Like, or getting frustrated with me because I was frustrated. It was the calm presence that they had and their, their willingness to just like sit there with me and have that moment with me without making me feel inferior to them. Um, that was essentially what made me kind of cooperate and get into the ambulance and get help and kind of start that journey of, of getting better and seeking the medical attention that I really, really needed at the time. Anna, thousands of paramedics and medics are going to listen to, to this podcast. And, uh, it's interesting because the job that we do, we see a patient, we transport them or we find that, you know, in the nicest possible sense of disposal for them. And sometimes you don't get a chance to connect with the outcomes. And so this, for some who have had, you know, dealt with behavioural health, with, with folk with, you know, mental health issues, etc., um, disorders, don't get to hear what happens to their patient next because literally they get on to the next job. And so what you've just done just then is actually to talk to a lot of medics who may have met folk perhaps like you but never really worked out what happened, the outcomes, and, and what you know you you sort of truly reflected on. So first of all, thank you for doing that, and I think those those few words will be a great tonic for for folk that are listening that are out there in the truck on the street right now. So so that's that's fantastic. Now, of course, you then channeled all of this into telling the story into helping others, and so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, after the hospital stay, I did a lot of treatment. I did a partial hospitalization program. I did an outpatient program. And during that time, I was so frustrated that it had gotten to this point because I didn't see any conversations about it. No one was talking about mental health openly. No one was talking about postpartum specifically or bipolar disorder. Like they were like these dirty little secrets that people were just hiding. We knew they were there. They just weren't being aired out. And that seemed so silly to me that people weren't talking about such an important thing. So I just got, I just, I really pulled my phone out and I started just recording raw moments, whether I was, whether it was a day I was having a mental breakdown or maybe it was a good day or maybe I was struggling with my meds. I just kind of, I documented that journey online and it slowly kind of picked up and resonated with people because they're like, wait, this is what I'm going through. This is like what's happening to me too. And I didn't know that anyone else struggled with this. And so it kind of snowballed into this thing where we're, ha we're starting to have these conversations. We're building a community of people who want to have these conversations. And 
one of the videos was me talking about this story, um, kind of sharing the paramedic story and how powerful that one line was, the one more time, let's try one more time. And that completely flew. It took off. Um, it's right now with all the videos, um, I've made about it, it's reached about 20 million people. Um, and impacted people in, in, in ways I, I could not, like not my wildest dreams, couldn't have imagined. Um, and it really just, you know, these videos that I thought were just kind of me like processing and venting turned into a community and it turned into an outlet and that kind of like turned into a career for me after that, which I, again, I, I never could have imagined that happening either. That's remarkable. And, you know, you are helping not only those that are connected with you, you know, via social media and via your profession, but obviously people that are listening to this that are at, you know, as a friend of mine said, the tip of the spear in terms of, you know, when people are at their most absolute raw, rawest, whatever the, I'm English, I can't really think, think of the right word, the rawest moment, let's create a word, right, the rawest moment of, of, of somebody's experience. And so that, that's great. Now, tell me, are you aware of the new 988 number that's coming along? Let, let me, uh, and perhaps this is something you might want to think about promoting, he said, hopefully. But we have 911, so people call 911 when they're having an emergency. Starting in July, there is a new number coming to town nationally, which is 988. And it's an extension of the old suicide prevention hotline. And the, the federal government are pumping millions into each state to create 988 call centres. So if you are having a crisis, a behavioural emergency, a behavioural health emergency, actually you can call 988. And they're so going through the process of A, working out how they're going to increase the, the, the levels of the sort of national suicide prevention hotline and increase that across each state so that when you if you're having a crisis you call 988 you may not necessarily get a paramedic in an ambulance but you actually might get the right person on the phone that can talk to you and so that's coming along in July and of course what we're trying to do in EMS right now is to work out how those two systems can work together because, of course, if you don't necessarily want an ambulance, you may well get an ambulance or, or vice versa. And so 988 is the sort of next big thing. Um, it's not going to be publicised too much, I don't think, in this year, because, of course, they've got to get the, the whole system running up and running. But, for example, I'm, I'm from California, as I said before, and so the federal government have injected, I think, $20 million to create you know, the call centre infrastructure. And the idea being is then that, is then that, that uh, crisis teams... Um, and it's not just a paramedic or the, the traditional way that we deal with most crisis in America is send a cop nine times out of ten perhaps is the wrong person to send but to actually send the right person first time if we can't cope with it on the phone so that's coming along so that might be something that uh, you might be interested in uh, in having having a look at yeah I ha I never heard of that I think that's <laughs> I think that's such a brilliant idea like and, and, you know, what you said with, um, you know, having police respond to these things, that's another response that I got, unfortunately, was a lot of people being like, oh, I didn't get a medic who responded to my crisis. I got a police officer, and this just kind of went really differently. So I think, you know, having something specifically designated for mental health crises is really, really important. And I want to give you know kudos to, to our, our colleagues in uh, on the Thin Blue Line because, of course, they're doing a lot of CIT, critical incident training, learning how to de-escalate 
But there is the massive, you know, elephant in the room of, you know, were they the right folk in the first place for most of the calls that are coming in? So, you know, hopefully 988 and those crisis response teams, which I have to say, because I'm talking to an EMS audience, we have to work out EMS question number one, who the hell's paying for that? But we'll try and figure that out. But actually, it's, it's the right step to take. And so, you know, perhaps with the work that you're doing and obviously the work that the, the, the federal government are trying to, uh, you know, push out across the country, it may well help uh, with people in crisis, of course, because the other thing, again, from an EMS perspective, is where do we take somebody in crisis? We take them to an emergency room. Is that the right place? Maybe you can answer that. Um, <laughs> oh, that makes me laugh because, uh, yeah, some of my worst experiences with any mental health crises were emergency rooms. Um, they are understaffed. They do not have many social workers. Typically, they have one. Um, making the rounds. So we're talking about wait times for people who are in crisis of hours at a time. I think I waited six hours, maybe, maybe more just to be, just to have a human talk to me. Um, yeah, the system, um, needs a lot of work in ERs. Yeah. Time has already passed, so we're just going to take a second to hear a message from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Thank you for that uh, sponsor message, Rob. And back here with Anna Muller. So we, we, we had the backstory. Let's look forward. So you are now using your experiences to educate the masses. And as we said before the break, perhaps we can talk a little bit, uh, perhaps you can talk a little bit about 988 once it becomes, you know, more widely known. But uh, how are you now taking your story forward to help others? Yeah, after kind of sharing my story and and connecting with such a large community, um, I had a lot of people who were messaging me and wanting one-on-one interaction with me and wanting guidance from me. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't really feel qualified to tell someone what to do or give them that guidance. I was like, I would love to. I don't feel like I have the proper qualifications for that. So I, was, I thought, and I was like, what can I do to put myself in a position where I can help people more intimately? Um, this is where I found these life coaching programs. Um, I really, really struggled in school, so um, the psychology degree didn't work out for me. There was a lot of mental health issues attached to my ability to finish schooling, um, and I knew it would uh, affect my mental health if I tried to continue doing that. So that just wasn't a route for me. It wasn't something that I felt like I wanted to tackle. But the other route was life coaching. Um, I found a really great program. It was um, 120 hours of training. It was very hands-on. I got to practice coaching. They really threw you into it. Um, it was like a, a really amazing process. I, and I didn't even know what life coaching was until I looked into it. Like, what is that versus counseling? What is that versus therapy? Um, so how do you define that? 
Yeah, so <laughs> that's a great question. Um, so many people are like, what is what is the difference even? Um, you know, therapists and counselors, um, they do a lot of processing. They do a lot of trauma work. They can give medical advice. Um, life coaches cannot do those things. We work with your goals. We work with your direction. We work with where are you at and how do we get you to where you want to be? We don't want to look backwards and reprocess trauma with you. If you want to do that, you can go see a therapist. A lot of my clients have me and a therapist, which is actually a really awesome combination because when they have things come up, they can, we'll be like, okay, let's talk to your therapist about that. And then we can move forward. Um, so I do a lot of work around like identity, purpose, fulfillment. What do you actually want? Who who even are you? A lot of people come to me and they're like, I don't even know who I am. What do I want? I don't know. So it's a lot of digging. It's giving people clarity and insights. Um, very, very forward moving, which I actually worked better for me than therapy. So that's the, kind of what got me really excited about getting into that work. And that's primarily what I do now um, is these people who find my videos, they reach out and they say, hey, can we do this one-on-one thing and we organize that and and now I'm in a position where I get to intimately coach people into building better lives for themselves. So you talk about helping people kind of discover themselves in this process. What have you discovered about yourself? Um, a lot of things. It's actually interesting. A lot of the topics that come up with my clients, I there's a little bit, I'm like, oh, you know what? I actually needed to hear this advice too. Thank you for the refresh. <laughs> um, you know, one thing I realized is that we're constantly learning. We're constantly evolving. And sometimes we need to adapt. Sometimes we need to adjust. And our identities evolve too. Um, things that we want evolve. Um, and that in, in, also the story we tell ourselves, which is something that I talk about a lot. Everyone has a story. Everyone has an internal narrative that they say about themselves. For me, um, which actually kept me stuck for a really long time when I was younger and had mental health issues, was my story was, um, I'm always going to be sick. I'm always going to end up in the hospital again. I'll probably go into rehabs again. I'm going to relapse. It doesn't get better. That's who I am. This is how that's going to be. That was my narrative that I told myself for so long. And until I got into coaching was when I realized you can change that narrative. You can change the story you tell yourself. And when you change that story, you start making different decisions and you take different actions and you get different results. And that's how you can kind of slowly transform your life into a different one and maybe a better one. That was a great answer. Um, as we kind of wrap up, um, again, you know, you have been seen by a couple of paramedics. First of all, and this is sort of a two-part question, have you ever met up with those guys or that, that person again? And what do you say to our guys that are on the trucks and even the cops that might listen about, you know, uh, how to approach a, a behavioral health patient? Um, unfortunately, I have not found my medics yet. Um, we are in that process of kind of trying to do that. I've reached out a few times to try and get some some information and I have not had the best of luck yet. However, um, so awesome that I could attend and be here because I've, I've had people reach out and be like, hey, I can help you connect. I can help you make these connections. So I think going forward, I'm still going to kind of put in those efforts because they deserve to hear the impacts that they've had. You know, this huge movement, these were not words that I spoke. These are things that they spoke. And I think it would blow their mind to hear 
the impact that it had because a lot of them don't hear that. Um, you know, and I think, you know, for any first responder, the, the best thing that you can do is meet someone with compassion and empathy. That's all we want is we want someone to say, hey, I see you. I see you because that's primarily so many people just don't feel seen and we don't feel heard. And if you can just kind of human with us a little bit, see us as a human and just kind of talk this out and um, go through that with us, it's a lot more of a comfortable process and it's a lot easier for us and we're more receptive. Um, That was the most impactful for me. Um, And I know that other people I've spoken with have, have agreed that that's just, and it's such a simple, it feels like a simple thing, right? Having compassion and empathy for others. Um, but it is lacking kind of everywhere in the world, unfortunately. Um, that's the, and it's, that it may seem small, but the impact says it, that it has on your patients going forward is huge and they will remember that. Those were powerful words. So if uh, you were Anna's medic or indeed you're a medic on the truck, uh, I think, uh, you know, this is one session that you really need to pay attention to. Uh, Before we go on, if you're listening, whatever platform you're listening on, please take a second to rate or review us and give us hopefully five stars. And uh, I'm with Anna, so let's get 10 stars out of this one. Uh, And uh, also you can follow me on Twitter at UKRobL1 or over on LinkedIn. Anna, how can we, obviously, how can we follow you and get in touch if we need to? Um, So we're back to TikTok. Um, TikTok (laughs) is primarily where I'm at. Um, I do have some links on there that you can contact me through email, um, Instagram, whatever it may be. But my TikTok is Anna Bobana. (laughs) It's A-N-N-A-B-O-E. B-A-N-A, or you can just type in Anna Muller. Either will either will show up for you. Um, once you kind of get to that landing page, there are some other some other ways that you can reach out as well, depending on which route you want to go. Anna, thank you so much for spending time with me this morning. And I know that folk on the street will be able to uh, resonate with everything you've said. Uh, and so on behalf of them, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I think this is a really important conversation and I'm happy to share it and have other people kind of hear these experiences and be able to kind of grow from it and do better for everyone all around. Excellent. And finally, channeling my inner Mike Tegman, this was a conversation that matters. Thank you very much again. And uh, that's all for now. This has been EMS One Stop. I've been Rob Lawrence. And until next time, bye for now.